Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. One of my favorite places in the world is Cape Cod in Massachusetts, far down on the Cape. Most of it is national seashore, so there aren't many houses, and these big mile-and-mile-long stretches of uninhabited beach. You can walk for an hour and not see anyone, even in the middle of summer. The beach is bordered by huge hundred-foot cliffs. From the top of the cliff, you can look out and only see the Atlantic Ocean, Sometimes, I think I might be able to see Spain. You can also see whales, and I think I see sharks, but that might just be made up in my mind. One of the stories I like best about this place is a ghost story. The story of a woman named Maria Hallett, who comes out in every storm and walks the cliffs overlooking the sea. Some people say that if you listen closely during a storm, you can hear her singing. I've heard this story for years, and I always think about it. And so I decided to try and figure out where this ghost story came from. And that's when I found out that Maria Hallett actually lived, and that the story of her life and what happened to her has haunted the towns of Wellfleet and Truro for the past 300 years. In the early 1700s, Cape Cod was said to be a totally wild place. Well, you'd have some sailors on the Cape in general because it was a maritime community with fishing villages and the like. And a lot of it is beaches with high, you know, 100-foot cliffs leading up to tablelands and, you know, and the surf crashing against it. There are very few harbors on the whole stretch of the outer Cape. This is Colin Woodard. He's the author of The Republic of Pirates. It was a a place where many of the um, locals who were farmers and trying to um, survive and make a living would have a sideline as wreckers, as people who would go out and pick the wrecks of the many vessels that ended up crashing on this dangerous, harborless shoreline of the Outer Cape. Wrecking was a lucrative practice. People on Cape Cod could find tobacco, whiskey, wine, casks of lard, furniture varnish, piano parts, even coffins. Many of them would encourage the wrecking of vessels by, say, going out onto a beach and swinging a lantern 
to try to fool unsuspecting captains into thinking that they were following another vessel around the Cape and that they, by following that swinging stern lamp of the vessel in front of them that they were uh, on a safe passage, when in fact they were sailing straight into the beach. These black market goods were often bought and sold in a secluded tavern on the beach in Wellfleet, the Great Island Tavern. There was a young woman who worked there named Maria Hallett, sometimes called Goody Hallett. Little is known about the real Maria Hallett. Some historians call her Mary Hallett or even Mehitable Hallett. But according to legend, she was born into a family of well-to-do farmers from Yarmouth, another town on Cape Cod, in the 1690s. When we called the Truro Historical Society asking about Maria Hallett, they said to call a man named Dan Sanders. Dan says people would travel to see Goody Hallett dance at the Great Island Tavern. And Goody Hallett wraps slow match in her hair. And slow match is a thing that you fire cannons with. It's a slow-burning match, and you can fire a cannon and then run to another cannon and so on. And she lights it, and the smoke swirls around her head. And she dances. And one day, a man named Sam Bellamy walked into the tavern. He had come from England to try to make his fortune on the sea. And Bellamy fell in love. Who would not? Colin Woodard says Sam Bellamy's parents were poor farmers. His mother died when he was young. Not much is known about his early years. But it's suspected that he may have served in the British Navy, where he learned to sail. By 1714, he had landed on Cape Cod, where he met Maria Hallett. They hit it off quickly. They got uh, romantically involved almost immediately. And they uh, you know, were very taken with each other and, according to the legends, sought to become married. But her family, who were relatively prosperous, refused to allow her to marry this then penniless sailor. Even though Maria Hallett's parents disapproved, she and Sam Bellamy refused to stop seeing one another. Sam Bellamy heard about a fleet of Spanish ships that had sunk in a hurricane off the Gulf Coast. The fleet had been carrying gold and silver, and according to Colin Woodard, Sam Bellamy, along with a jeweler named Paul's Grave Williams, decided to sail to the Caribbean to try to recover what they could. They weren't the only ones with this idea. It was the so-called Golden Age of Piracy, a time when more than 5,000 pirates were said to be at sea, the majority of them in the Caribbean. Some accounts say that Sam Bellamy went after the treasure in order to convince Maria Hallett's family that he was wealthy enough to marry their daughter. So after Sam left Maria, and he promised to return with riches, and he promised to return to come to her, he did not know she was pregnant. This is Barbara Epic-Struna. She's the author of The Old Cape House and a longtime Cape Cod resident. She became pregnant, but he left before he knew she was pregnant and went off to salvage this Spanish fleet. Barbara Struna says it must have been a scandal for Maria Hallett to have been pregnant as an unmarried woman. Cape Cod at that time was a puritanical community, you could be outcast for dancing, not attending church, and especially for having babies outside of wedlock. By some accounts, Maria Hallett gave birth to a baby and it died shortly after. Other accounts say that the baby 
died before it was born. But the baby's body was never found. And because of this, Barbara Struna says many people in Wellfleet suspected Maria Hallett of murder. She was ostracized and forced out of the community and had no way to communicate with Sam Bellamy and no idea when he would come back. And, and so um, they say that Maria Hallett would go every night looking for him to return. No telephones then. And so you would just go out to the dunes and she would look out and wish and hope that she would see him returning to her. Sam Bellamy, along with Paul's grave Williams, had reached the wrecked Spanish treasure fleet, only to find that others had gotten there first. So they joined up with a pirate named Benjamin Hornigold and his first mate, Edward Teach, who would later become the famous Blackbeard. Several months later, the crew mutinied and elected Sam Bellamy, their new captain. He and his crew captured more than 50 ships. In February of 1717, Sam Bellamy and his crew took charge of a ship called the Widda, which had once been used to transport enslaved Africans to the Caribbean. Sam Bellamy and his crew filled the Widda with golden treasures and began sailing home back to Maria Hallett. Some accounts say that he planned to stop just long enough on Cape Cod to pick her up and then head to Maine. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. And he returned in the spring, and there was a huge storm. And of course, all the old salts say no sailor would come across the Cape Cod coastline in a storm unless it was for a woman. Back in those days, without weather satellites and weather radio, you never knew for sure what meteorological conditions were ahead of you. And Sam Bellamy and his flotilla got unlucky. They were sailing northward, and uh, he was perhaps intending to uh, circle the Cape and anchor in Provincetown or Eastham, and, uh, and a storm came up a violent storm blowing them directly into the beach. And ultimately, there was no way for the Widda to maneuver and escape from the leeward shore. And it was was driven closer and closer uh, to the shore. The pirates knew that if they hit, the vessel would be broken up into zillions of pieces and that almost none of them would possibly survive uh, being um, battered in the crashing uh, surf against the sand dunes. Uh, And so they desperately tried to anchor the vessel and stop it from uh, approaching the shore. And then the anchors didn't hold. And eventually, with incredible force, it struck the bottom of the seabed as it was approaching the beach and broke into pieces. I mean, the violence of the collision was such that when some of these pirates' remains were found centuries later, you know, there were, you know, bits and pieces of like, you know, pewter, you know, um, utensils stuck through some of the bones they found. I mean, it was a violent uh, end to the Widda. And uh, of the maybe 160 people aboard that night when the Widda crashed, only two of them survived and got ashore, finding themselves, you know, at the foot of these 100-foot-tall cliffs as the Widda was destroyed and the bodies began piling up on the beach. Sam Bellamy was not one of the two men who came ashore, and his body was never found. It's assumed that he went down with his ship. According to Colin Woodard, after Sam Bellamy was lost at sea, Maria Hallett became even more of an outcast. 
Some say that Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter is based in part on Maria Hallett's life. Barbara Struna says she was sometimes seen around town walking the streets singing, and people reported seeing her at night when there was a full moon, looking at the sky. This was just about 20 years after the Salem witch trials, the news of which had spread far and wide. And she's said to have then ended up being a hermit out on the tablelands high above the, the cliffs where she um, you know, spent her time bringing supernatural storms down upon the, the outer cape and earned the epithet, the, uh, the sea witch of Billingsgate. Will you describe the landscape of where her she would have lived on the dune? Um, describe a little bit about, about what it would have been like to live out there, as we know that the actual woman did do for a time. I, th- I think, uh, well, number one, it's very high up on the dunes so that there's no buffering from the winds. But it's also probably very threatening to be out there in a storm. There are very few grasses. It's mostly bayberry, little uh, tight plants that are on the ground. It's sparse. It's probably very tough to uh, eke out any sort of a living, of growing a garden. I don't think it would work as well because the salt destroys a lot of uh, young plants that are that you need uh, to live on. And I personally think that um, Maria was also known for treating people's ailments with certain medicines and herbs. And that again was looked upon as witchery, even though people would go in the middle of the night to seek help from her for their ailments. And she would have these potions and things that would help cure whatever they were ailing from. And they would never admit during the day that they went to her. And my guess is they would pay her and supplement her food and her resources with things uh, if she would give them something to help them. And they would, again, give her back something that would help her survive. Legends say that for generations, townspeople saw Maria Hallett walking with a lantern along the dunes, trying to lure boats into shore. Other stories say that she rode around on a whale, trying to lure boats into the shallow waters below the cliffs. The legend says that Maria Hallett was so heartbroken she would walk the cliffs in storms, cursing other ships so that they would crash that she believed that if a storm had taken her lover, then the same fate should befall others. And then, there were a lot of shipwrecks, sometimes two a month. A 50-mile stretch of Cape Cod became known as an ocean graveyard. Between the towns of Wellfleet and Truro, the next town over, there have been more than a thousand shipwrecks. The Humane Society of Massachusetts began putting up huts along dangerous sections of the coast. The hope was that sailors who had survived shipwrecks and managed to get to shore would have a place to shelter. Truro lies at one of the narrowest sections of Cape Cod, with the Cape Cod Bay on one side and the Atlantic Ocean on the other. Imagine an arm flexed into a fist. Truro lies just about where your wrist would be. The Cape Cod Bay is on the inside of the arm, and the Atlantic Ocean is on the outside of the arm. 
get to the open ocean, Truro fishermen would have to sail around the Fist, Provincetown. They left from the only harbor in Truro, Pamet Harbor. By the mid-1800s, hundreds of men in Truro worked as fishermen or on the sea. The town had a population of 2,000, and there was such a high demand for sailors that boys as young as 11 would join their fathers working on the water. The increase in fishing and shipping only meant that there were more and more men going to sea. And the legend of Maria Hallett walking the cliffs in storms was resurrected every time a ship didn't come home. And at one point, 100 years ago, or 150 years ago, you would have been able to see this, the ocean from here. 20 years ago. And in fact, it was called the Hill of Storms because if you stood up there, you could see the ocean from there and the bay from there. This was originally the Hill of Storms. I can remember when they changed it to North Cemetery. But I'd like you to call it the Hill of Storms because I'm old-fashioned. Dan Sanders has lived on Cape Cod for decades. His wife's family goes back six generations in Truro. I met him at the Old North Cemetery. The earliest grave here is from 1713. This is another ship. This is the um, Rachel. The Rachel was wrecked right off the Highland Light. This is a monument to all the sailors who were lost on the Rachel. Their widows would all be back in Boston. The bodies would be buried here in a mass grave. Here they are. The cemetery is full of graves of ship captains and of fishermen who were lost at sea. Some of them lost their lives in wrecks right off the coast of Cape Cod, like the Rachel, which wrecked just a few miles north of where Sam Bellamy and the widow ran ashore. Many of the gravestones in the cemetery, marking the bodies of those lost at sea, came from Boston pre-carved. So a lot of them say, here lies, even though there's no body underneath it. Many gravestones say lost at sea or washed overboard or fell from rigging. Now, this has a sleeping willow, a weeping willow tree. And it's later, but you can see that her husband died at sea and she outlived him. In the 1800s alone, there were 60 shipwrecks off the coast of Truro. Two of the most well-known are the Josepha in 1852, where 18 men died, and the Jason in 1893, which killed 24 Both ships struck sandbars and broke into pieces. But they all pale in comparison to what happened on October 3, 1841, also known as the Great Gale of 1841. In those days, the fleets used to go out together by towns. That is, if a one well-fleet boat went out, a lot of well-fleet boats went out. And the same was thing of Truro. They'd fly, in fact, a little flag from their high mast with the town flag on it, usually the initials of the flag, so you could look out, see if ships were in trouble, and know that if you were going to go to the rescue of ships, Truro first if you're from Truro, Wellfleet first if you're from Wellfleet. When the great gale hit, of the nine boats from Truro, only two made it home. One was a ship called the Water Witch, with Captain Matthias Rich. When the sun comes up the next day, Matthias is anchored in Herring Cove, Apparently that is where you will run for shelter if a nor'easter hits and you can't make it around the end of the, um, around Long Point and Wood End. 
The next morning, the town people come down, after all of these storms, the town people come down to see what ships will return. And they gather together in Pamit Harbor, first the wives and children of the people that are at sea. And then apparently it would be the custom for the people of the town to come down and join with them, bring down coffee and food, lunches and things like that, set up little fires and wait for the ships to return. Matthias Rich couldn't bear to tell the other families that their relatives weren't coming home. And uh, <clears throat> he went right by them and, and anchored in front of his house, which is the white house on the little peninsula that sticks out. It's still there. He didn't tell anyone what he knew, and he went straight into the house. The townspeople waited for days, but no other ships returned. Fifty-seven men were lost at sea. Nearly everyone in town was related to at least one of the lost men, and 27 women became widows, which, Richard Whalen says, made 105 widows in a town of 2,000. Truro became known as the town of widows. Richard Whalen says that after the Great Gale of 1841, young women didn't want to marry fishermen anymore. They were too afraid they'd lose their husbands. He says the news reports of the disaster reached far and wide, and donations started pouring into the town, including two boatloads of food and provisions from Boston. The Barnstable Patriot newspaper wrote, The small town of Truro has met with an affliction, the death of so large a number of her active and promising young men, the blighting effects of which, a quarter of a century, will be little time enough to repair. And we'll go in and find the cell, which won't take much finding. Got it? See where it is? In the center of Truro, next to the Congregational Church, which was built in 1827 and served as a town meeting house until 1860, there's another cemetery. To the right of the church, down a small hill, sits a monument, the largest around, surrounded by a wrought iron fence. On it, lists the names of all 57 men and boys who died in the Great Gale of 1841. And will you read to me what it says here? On the, on the plaque, on, on the stone? Yeah. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto the God who gave it. Man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. In 1864, Henry Throw wrote about Throw in the Atlantic Monthly. He wrote, I found that it would not do to speak of shipwrecks in the area for almost every family had lost someone at sea. Who lives in that house, I inquired. Three widows was the reply. Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Sometimes a new person joining your team at work can make a good team into a great one. But finding the right person can be a challenge. Indeed helps you find that perfect match when you're looking to hire. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. So the more you use it, the better it gets. 
Indeed will also help you with some of the busy work of hiring, too, like scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. According to a survey by Indeed, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Listeners of This Is Love will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash This Is Love. Just go to Indeed.com slash This Is Love right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash This Is Love. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still thaw the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. For months after the Great Gale of 1841, family members in Truro continued to wait in hope for news of their lost relatives. A piece in the Provincetown Advocate read, We saw a father who had two sons among the missing, for days and weeks go morning and evening to the hilltop, which overlooked the ocean, and there, seating himself, would watch for hours, scanning the distant horizon with his glass, hoping every moment to discover some speck on which to build a hope. There are many stories like this about what happened to those left behind after the storm, including, Dan says, the story of one young woman who stood on the beach waiting, more than a hundred years after Maria Hallett. She concludes her husband left in a storm, and he'll return in a storm, and she goes to Boston Beach to await his return. Uh, She goes over the path, roughly speaking, where the path is now, and she walks the beaches whenever there's a storm. Oh, she put on her wedding dress as she went over, and her boots and coat to keep her warm. Now, in those days, a wedding dress is not like you envision now. It's not a big white bridal dress. A woman in those days had maybe only one dress or possibly two when she was young as a kid. They didn't live as luxurious as we do. And when she got married, she bought a nice dress. He says she wore the dress to the beach, intending to greet her husband when he returned. She talks to the people who were patrolling the beaches, and she said, my husband left in a storm. He went in a storm, and he'll return in a storm. Dan says that members of the life-saving service would see her walking the beaches during every storm, and that she kept this up, even as a very old woman. Now she's in her 80s. A storm comes up. She says to himself, he went in a storm, and he returned in a storm, and I think this is the storm. And she puts on her old wedding dress. She puts on her coat and her boots after it. She walks down North Pamet Road to where that path over the banking is now. She walked by the life-saving service station and the captain's house in the driving snow, and they didn't see her. And the next morning, her body was found in the snow, just a little bit seaward of the life-saving service station. Members of the life-saving service 
claimed that the woman's ghost would walk with them as they patrolled the beach. I think I know exactly where she would have gone into the ocean, down a little path in Truro on Ballston Beach. I went and stood there and could kind of imagine what this woman might have seen as she looked out into the sea. Not much has changed. And then, when you turn around, you see the huge cliffs, where Maria Hallett was said to walk and wait. It's hard not to think about all the women, entire towns of widows, coming here to these cliffs, missing people they loved, and looking to the sea. Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson and Aaron Wade. Audio mix by Johnny Vince Evans, Michael Raphael, and Rob Byers of Final Final V2. Special thanks to the Truro Historical Society. Julian Alexander is our illustrator. We're on Facebook and Twitter at This Is Love Show. This is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best podcasts around. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you, and their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.